morning again. Uh, this morning, uh, I want to take some time, obviously, to pray for what is happening in the Middle East. Uh, just horrendous what's going on out there at the moment. Uh, I don't think I don't think we can fully grasp or fully get into our heads what it is actually like for those who are there at the moment. And so, I want to pray for for them this morning. And then we will read, we're in Matthew chapter 5 today again. So let's take some time to pray, and then we will read God's word together. Let's pray. Father, you are sovereign over all things. We, we trust that, we know that, and we hold to that. You are the sovereign almighty God. And everything that is happening in our world today is happening under that sovereign hand. So, Father, help us to take comfort from that, to know that nothing is catching you by surprise. You see it all, you know it all, and you are in it all. And Father, we come this morning and we pray for those both in Israel and in Gaza who are suffering this morning. Father, we pray that your hand would be upon them, that they would know the presence of the living God. Father, that they would know Yahweh. Father, we pray that in both sides of that border that Jesus would be known. Father, we know, and, and we, we don't say this arrogantly, but we know that there will only ever be peace when people bow the knee to Jesus. Whether they be Jews, whether they be Palestinian, whatever they are, they are required to bow the knee before King Jesus. And so we pray, even in this, what seems just a horrendous situation, we pray that the name of Jesus would go forth and that you would save and that you would redeem and you would bring people to yourself through this. Father, we do pray for those who are on the ground helping in any way. Father, the common grace that you show, we'll read it even in today's text, to the, to the godly and the ungodly. Father, we pray for those who are there helping, showing compassion. We pray that you would strengthen them and, and just help them. But Father, we pray for peace. We pray for that peace would reign. Father, this world needs King Jesus. Father, we pray for our own land this morning. This land needs Jesus. And we pray this morning that as the gospel goes out throughout this land this morning, that people will come to know Jesus as Savior. We pray that as the gospel is preached up and down this country, that you would both, both bless your church and 
bring people into the church through the blood of Jesus. Father, we pray for our leaders. We are called by scriptures to pray for them, so we do. And we pray that you would give them wisdom. And we pray that you would give them insight. And we pray that your hand would be upon them. Father, we thank you for your presence here with us this morning. We pray that as we open up your word, that you would speak. Father, we pray that you would make the book live. These are your words, Lord. These are your inerrant, infallible, authoritative words for the followers of Jesus. Make the book live. Father, I pray you'd speak to us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Our reading this morning is Matthew 5. If you've got your Bible, and I hope you do, please open your Bible to Matthew 5, verse 43. Matthew 5, verse 43. And we'll read to 40, 48. You have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. This is the Word of God. There has been a question rumbling around in my mind this week, and that's never a good thing because... Usually that means, that, well, one thing it means is that it has loads of room uh, to rumble around in there because there's not much else. When there's a question rumbling around in there, there's not much else going on. But the question that has been rumbling around in my mind this week is this. What does it mean to be a spiritual person? What does it mean to be a spiritual person? Because I hear that phrase regularly. Oh, oh, there... The, Oh, they're a spiritual person. Oh, they are, they are, oh, they, oh, them, oh, they are so spiritual. And I would love to know what that means. So this question has been rumbling around in my mind. What does it mean to be a spiritual person? To be honest, I'm not sure we know. I remember one Sunday morning here, eh, uh, meeting a gentleman at that door just out there. Uh, and he, he informed me after the gathering that we'd just been in here, uh, and he informed me that he was going that evening to, to listen to someone speak, and, and they, were just, they were just on another level. They, they were on a different level. I was like, what? 
You, what? What? What, what, do you mean? what do you mean? Another level. I quickly informed him that there were no other levels and sent him on his merry way. What about at the minute when everything is going on that's going on in the Middle East and everything that's going on in Israel? What about the super spiritual ones who are claiming that every single thing that is happening now is a definite fulfillment of every single prophecy that was ever had about Israel in the Old Testament? Yes, they know. They're sure. Problem with that is that Jesus told us in his word what? He doesn't even know. And we have all these Facebook posts and all these things said, declaring the fact that what is happening now is exactly what was prophesied in Daniel or Isaiah or wherever you want to say. And they know, but yet the Son of God is still not in the loop. What does it mean to be a spiritual person? Well, Jesus today is not going to tell us what it means to be a spiritual person. Because here's the thing. I don't think Jesus cares if we're spiritual people or not. But Jesus is going to tell us today what it means to be a follower of his. What it means to actually follow King Jesus. You see, the reality is, and just to paint the picture again of where we are in the text and what we're doing in the text... In this Sermon on the Mount, Jesus again has gathered his disciples to himself, his first disciples, and he is outlining what the kingdom of God will look like for them. This is the kingdom manifesto. If you're going to follow me, this is what it looks like. So it doesn't really matter about the the whole being a spiritual person. What it matters is this. Are you following Jesus? Because I really don't think when we get to the presence of the Lord, He's going to ask us, were we spiritual? What He's going to ask us is, did you do what I told you to do? And so what he's doing today, again, in, these, in these, these incredibly difficult verses, if you, if you heard me read those verses and you didn't think to yourself, oh no, I don't know what's going on with you. Because these are hard sayings. And we come here to what is the last of these contrasts. And what we've said all along is Jesus is contrasting his teaching with the teaching of the Pharisees about righteousness. They were teaching what the Bible said, but they were teaching it in a way which misunderstood it, which misunderstood the Old Testament commandments. Those contrasts began in, in verse 21 where he contrasts the teaching about murder. Verse 27, he contrasts the teaching about adultery. Verse 31, he contrasts the teaching about divorce. Verse 33, he contrasts the teaching about truthful speaking. In verse 38, he contrasts his teaching about justice and about love for neighbor. And finally, we come to this sixth antithesis today, 
in verse 43. And so what has the word of the living God got to say to us today? You have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Jesus has already started back a little bit in verse 33 to show us what it is like to to love one another, but he's going to make an even bolder claim now in these verses. Here he sets forth a command, not just to love one another, but to actually love our enemies. And there's a few things that we need to see in, in these passages this morning. And the first thing we see in verse 43 is this. He is teaching us not to limit the extent of our love. He is teaching us not to limit the extent of our love. This is, we must not come up with rationalizations about why we should not love certain people. The Pharisees did that. The Pharisees took a good law, you shall love your neighbor, and they put this little bit on the end which said, and hate your enemies. It's not in there. It's not in the Bible. It's not in the Old Testament. If you go to Leviticus 19, you won't see it. What we'll see there is this command to love our neighbor, which is extremely practical love of neighbor. Not just sentiment, not just feeling towards our neighbor, but practical helping of our neighbor. Not slandering our neighbor's name, but looking for our neighbor's best interests. That's what we're called to do in Leviticus. But this appendage on the end of it, this and hate your enemies, is not there. And yet the Pharisees had put that on. They were looking for an excuse to hate their enemies. In all these practical ways that I talked about, Leviticus and other commands of Moses demand that we love our neighbor. Nowhere does it command us to hate our enemy. And the Pharisees, well, they were saying, well, yes, of course, but to love our neighbor must mean that we hate our enemies, and and that's not the case at all. That's not the case at all. The Pharisees, you see, misunderstood the meaning of neighbor. They misinterpreted the law of God in its teaching on neighbor. They had a worldly understanding of who their neighbor was, and they restricted it in definition. And of course, we see Jesus address this in the parable of the Good Samaritan. In verse 34 of Leviticus, back to Leviticus, we're taught that we are to love the stranger. It was always God's command. It was always in God's commands. Yes, love one another, but, but love the stranger. Provide for the stranger. Provide for the resident alien in your land. All of that is there in the, in the law of God. And the Pharisees, you see, had misunderstood the Old Testament. They had misunderstood the Old Testament called to separation because God did call the Israelites to be separate from the other nations, not to, not to do the things they did, not to, not to be like them, not to think like them, to worship the Lord God only. But that did not give them an excuse for hate towards other nations. And folks, we must be aware of the, beware of the Pharisees' temptation that lies within us 
the temptation to try to find approval in God's Word so that we may hate our enemies. Very often we try to appeal to the Word of God even to justify our lovelessness. We must also be beware of the Pharisees' temptation not to love those who are not like us, both inside and outside the church. We must not limit our love to those whom we think deserve it. That's what the Pharisees did, and we must not do that. So, we are not to limit our love, but we must willingly embrace our obligation to love even our enemies. The first point, don't limit our love. Second point, we must embrace our obligation to love our enemies. Folks, this is a problem for us. This is a problem. You see, it's easy to love those who love you. It's easy to love, at least sometimes, those in whom you are supposed to delight. You know, it should be easy. It should be, I say should be, easy to love brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, to be fair, some of you are hard to love. That's hard to like even. But, uh, but it should be easy. And yet, sometimes we can't even manage to do that. Sometimes we can't even love the church. And yet, Jesus here calls us to love those who are our enemies. It's hard to love those who have hurt you. It's hard to love those who have slandered you. It's hard to love those who have abused you. It's hard to love those who do not love you. It's hard to love those who are not seeking your best interest. And in fact, would undercut you at every single point. It's hard. And that is precisely what Jesus is calling us to do. You see how practical these commands are, friends. It's easy to love those who are within your own wee circle. maybe even our family, maybe even those who are part of friendship groups or whatever we want to call them that we've already built. But to love the outsider, to love the one who has hurt you, to love the one who has abused you, to love the one who would undercut you, that is way more difficult. And Jesus is calling us to do just that. And so Jesus addresses the issue beginning in verse 44. He says, you have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I said you love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. 
You see, our natural tendency, folks, our natural inclination is to not wish good for those who hurt us, for those who harm us. Our natural inclination is to want to do them harm or wish harm upon them. Our natural tendency is certainly to be cold in our love towards those who would be cold in their love towards us. And in fact, our natural tendency is to hate those who hate us. And Jesus, in his word here, puts a check on that and says, love your enemies and pray for them. Pray for those who persecute you. You see, when we see our enemies or those who would hurt us or we see those who have done us harm or or those who would undercut us, we often treat them as if they were less than human beings. Now, we of course, we of course want to be treated almost as more than human beings. We, We want the love. Every single one of us want the love and want the respect and want all of that. But yet when someone hurts us, we we tend to treat them as less than that. Calvin said, As often as I see a man who is my bone and my flesh, I must necessarily see myself as reflected in the mirror. What does that mean? It means when we see others, we must see them as ourselves, as human beings, and love them as ourselves. Jesus gives us real practical instructions in this passage. He doesn't leave us up in the air about how to love. And, and incidentally, the word love here that, that Jesus is using is uh, agape love. It is very practical in nature. It is to do good. That, that's, that's what he's saying here. The Greek is the agape version of love. There's, there's four. I'm not going to get into what the four different ones are. I don't have time. But this one is agape. It is very practical in nature. It's not a brotherly affection. It's not that you need to be like, oh, aren't they lovely? No, it is, it's for people who, don't, who have done something wrong, who don't deserve it, and yet we are practically wanting and seeking their good. He gives practical teaching on what it means to love. In Luke chapter 6, don't flip over there now, but Luke chapter 6 gives us a summation of the Sermon on the Mount, what we're reading here. It's a shorter version than in Matthew, but it gives us some of the information that Matthew doesn't give us. And in verse 27, Luke gives us these words that Christ has spoken. But I say to you here, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, Bless those who curse you and pray for those who mistreat you. You see the practical nature of those things. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Three things. Three very, very practical things in nature. Notice these three things that Jesus sets forth on how we're to treat our enemies. First, we are to speak well of them. Bless them. We are to bless our enemies. When they criticize us, when they revile us, when they slander us, we are to meet that criticism, that reviling, that slanderous with courteous and friendly words. We are to bless them. 
Folks, this is the exact opposite. I know this is the exact opposite of what I want to do. Just is. And I feel very vulnerable because you all sit there and you all get to be quiet at this point, all right? And I don't. I know when somebody slags me, the one thing I want to do is what? Well, there's several things. But slag them back. Or, Or get into a conversation with someone else that makes them look worse. Or get into a conversation with someone where I get a wee sly dig in and that will make them feel they think they're worse than what they are. That's what we want to do. And don't you sit all down there self-righteous and let on that you don't. Because you do. It is the natural inclination of the heart. And Jesus says what? The exact opposite of that. Bless them. Speak well of them. Meet their words of reviling and criticism with words of blessing. We are to speak well. Notice, second, we are told we must do well to our enemies. We must be ready to give them actual, real kindness. And be glad of the opportunity to do them so. Thomas Kramer great Archbishop of Canterbury back in the day uh, during the times of the Reformation in England under Henry VIII and beyond, it was said that if you wanted to become his friend, you should do him ill because he was always anxious to return kindness and friendship for evil. Flip, he must have been some fella. Could anybody say that of us? Daphne couldn't say that about me probably more likely to say to me, if you want to really, you're ever off. This is the pattern we are to emulate. We are to practically do good, be kind to, show compassion on those who hurt us. And then Jesus says, pray for them. Thirdly, we are to speak well of them, we are to actually do good to them, and we are to pray for them. There is no quicker way to develop love for an enemy than to pray for them. It's very difficult to get down on your knees and offer up sincere prayers for another without cultivating some sort of compassion for them. Asking God to forgive them. Asking God that he would give them peace. Asking God for their good. So what we have here, three very practical things that we are to do for those who hurt us. For those who have maligned us. For those who have harmed us. Speak well of them. Do good to them. And pray for them. Folks, I don't know about you, but as I've, I've studied this this week, and I've thought about these words of Jesus, and I've just, these are some of the verses, right, that you'll go away from here today, and if you're anything like me, you will question your own salvation.
Are you a follower of Jesus? Because again, I don't think he's all that interested in all the spiritual mumbo-jumbo. Speaking spiritually. I think he's interested in actually are we following Jesus? Are we doing what Jesus has asked us to do? You see what's happening even in the Middle East at the moment in Israel. And you see how the words of Jesus, if, if they were taken seriously, the difference that they would make. Unfortunately, the reality is that Israel and the, the vast majority of the Jewish people there are living under the old covenant. And they are literally taking an eye for an eye. And they are not loving their enemies. And they are not doing good to those who persecute them. It's heartbreaking when Jesus has given us such a better way. Such a better way. But what about us personally? It's okay to look at Israel. It's okay to look at the grand scheme of things. But what about us personally? Are you doing good to your enemies? Are you doing good to those who persecute you? Are you showing kindness and compassion to those who have hurt you? Are you speaking well of those who have hurt you? Folks, this, these are some of the most convicting words in all of Scripture. So first of all, we are not to limit our love. We are not to say there are those out there who do not deserve our love as the Pharisees were doing. We are not to say we are to love our neighbor but hate our enemies. Second of all, we are actually to go and embrace our obligation to love our enemies. And thirdly, we are imitators of our heavenly Father in doing so. Notice what he says in verse 45 and 46, 47. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good, sends the rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You see, when we've studied these six antitheses where, where Jesus is saying, you have heard it said, but I say to you, what he has done every single time apart from this one is he has said, you've heard it said, I say to you, and then he has related it to hu uh, human relationships. Not in this case. This is the only one where he takes a different tack. He gives his own, and the rest of them, he gives his own teaching in the law, then what to do, and he applies the law to human relationships. This is the only passage where he does not do that. In this passage, rather than giving specific application to human relationships, he tells us why we ought to be motivated to do this. There has to be motivation. 
There has to be something that gives us the motivation to love our enemies because there is no single way we're going to do this on our own. There's no single way that we can muster up the enthusiasm or muster up the will to love our enemies. So what he does is he gives us the, the, the motivation to keep the law. Why ought you be motivated to love your enemies? You ought to be motivated to love your enemies, he says, because you will be like your heavenly Father in doing so. This is the motivation to be like our heavenly Father. You see, law dodging and, and law manipulating was a, was a hobby of the Pharisees. It is not that for those children of God, followers of Jesus. They want to be like God. We should have a desire to be righteous. We should have a desire to want to do what Jesus wants us to do. And he says, if you do these things, you will be like your heavenly Father is. He says in verse 45, he says, you see these Pharisees who are saying that they love, they love us for some and not for others. Contrast them to your Father. Who makes the, the rain fall on the, the just and the unjust. This is what we talk about, common grace. Like everyone benefits from the goodness of God. Everyone. He brings blessing both on righteous people and unrighteous people. The heavens pour out mercies on everyone without distinction. His mercies come to everyone. And those common graces that we have are proof of God's bountiful, sovereign love. They are manifestations of God who gives good gifts and shows His love towards even people who hate Him. See, we can sit in here this morning, and if we are in Jesus, if we're in Christ, if we're following Christ, sometimes I think we can forget who we were beforehand. Remember the words of Paul? Whilst we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Whilst we were still not wanting anything to do with God. In fact, the Scriptures would tell us that if we're in that state, we are God-haters. Whilst we were still there, He died for us and showed His love for us. And Jesus says, in loving our enemies, in loving those who hate us, in loving those who have done us harm, we become like our Heavenly Father. Jesus, in verse 46 and 47, makes it clear that our love must exceed the love of the world around us. He says of tax collectors who were literally the scourge of Israel. He says even they love each other. Even they love those who love them. 
For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Even the tax collectors do the same. You see, our love is to look different than the love of the world around us. I, I, I wonder what the community of Rathfryland and surrounding areas would say about the love of Cornerstone Church to the community and the surrounding areas. Would they say, would they be able to say it looks different? These people are weird and not in a bad way. Like they do at the minute, probably. These people are strange. You slag them off. And, and they do good things for you. You ridicule them and they like, say nice things to you. They, you. You go against them. And they're... They, they love us. Could the community around us say that? Or would they just be saying, they're just weird. For bad reasons. Or would they be saying, they're a bunch of yaps. Or would they be saying they're as awkward as get out? Or would they be saying they make my life a hassle? Or would they be saying blah, 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 blah? Folks, when we go into the world around us, and I mean here in North Ireland, I mean wherever we go, we are ambassadors of the kingdom. We need to remember that. So in your business, are you known for doing things right? In your dealings with the public, are you known for doing things lovingly? You're an ambassador of the kingdom and also you're an ambassador of Cornerstone Church. How are we known? How are we known? Does it look different? Does it look different? Do we bless when, those cur when people curse? Matthew Henry said this, Christianity is more than humanity. We know more than others. We talk the things of God more than others. We profess more than others. We have been promised more than others. God has done more for us, and therefore He justly expects more from us than others. He calls on us to love the unlovable. And isn't that exactly what Christ is saying in verse 48 when He says, you are to be perfect as, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Christ is not saying that the person can attain perfection in this life 
You remember it's the same Christ who's going to teach us to pray, Father, forgive us for our sins, forgive us for our debts, forgive us for our trespasses, who tells us to be perfect as our heavenly Father is perfect. Christ is not expecting us to achieve perfection in this life, or he would not have given us the clause in the Lord's Prayer when he asked God to forgive us. No, Christ is saying, have the same kind of all-embracing love that your heavenly Father has. Do we have that? To conclude today, think of God's words to Jonah. Jonah the prophet. Mighty man of God who had absolutely no compassion on the Ninevites. He wanted his people to have revival. He wanted his church to have revival. He wanted his own wee circle to have revival. But God smite the Ninevites. God the Father says to him in Jonah 4, he says, go and speak compassion to them. For God the Father had compassion on those people, it says, who did not even know their right hand from their left. And he wanted them to come and enjoy his grace. Folks, it's easy to love those who love us. It's easy for us to delight in those who delight in us. John Stott says, Everybody believes in love, but not love for those who have injured us. Everybody believes in love, but not love for those who are outsiders. That cannot be the church. Right. You want to measure if you've gone beyond just being nice to actually following Jesus. Look at your hearts. Look at our hearts. Look at my heart and ask ourselves, how do we love those who have hurt us? How do I love those who hate me? How do I love those who have no claim on my love? Then you'll see how far you've gone in actual love. It really doesn't matter if you're a spiritual person or not. Jesus said those who I'll call my own are those who do the works that I've commanded them to do. And Jesus is not asking here. It's not some good idea that if you get time, if you get round to it, it's a command of the kingdom. Love your enemies. Do good to those who persecute. As I said, we were all in that position at one time with him. Before we come to know Jesus as Savior, 
the scriptures would class us as God-haters. Those who were opposed to him. And yet he loved us. And we are to be like our heavenly father. In loving our enemies. Thankfully, this is not something we can do on our own. We can't. There is no possible way that we can do this in and of ourselves. As I say, our natural inclination is to do the exact opposite. And so therefore, God in his grace has given us the power and person of the Holy Spirit to help us in these things. And so we're to come to him and ask. Ask him to help us. Ask him to guide us. Ask him to forgive us where we've failed. One, do not limit our love to those who we think deserve it. Two, embrace our obligation to love our enemies. And three, what is our motivation? To be like our heavenly Father who has loved us whilst we were still sinners. Let me pray for us. Father, Again, these words are difficult, and the only reason they're difficult is because they're easy to understand. And please, Lord, forgive us. Forgive us for when we have not carried out what you have said very clearly. And help us, Lord, in these moments, when we hear your word, when your Holy Spirit conviction is upon us, help us not to deflect. Help us not to think about something we shouldn't be thinking about. Help us not to be dwelling on stuff we shouldn't be dwelling on. Help us to focus on what you're saying to us through your word. Lead us to repentance. Help us, we pray. We need you. We need you to be a different type of community. We need you to be a community that loves those who do not love us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.